0: Welcome into 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Drew Creaseman. And as always, I'm excited to be talking Colorado Rockies baseball with you here on the show. Hope everybody had a nice Thanksgiving, if Thanksgiving is a thing that tends to be nice for you. If not, I just hope you had a lovely Thursday. Uh, So thank you for uh, checking back in with us, and let's talk a little Colorado Rockies baseball. Got some mailbag questions from all of you on Twitter. Actually got quite a few right off the bat. Hey, a baseball phrase. So decided to go ahead and begin. If I end up getting more, I'll just record another episode. There's one thing that I haven't discussed yet that I wanted to begin with before diving into the questions, and that is the acquisition of Cal Quantrill, because this allows us to have a couple of interesting conversations branching off from it. So for anyone who hasn't heard the news yet, the Colorado Rockies traded a minor league catcher named Kobe Huff for 28-year-old right-handed pitcher Cal Quantrill. Quantrill. Quantrill was formerly a first round pick and has had several good seasons in the major leagues, but is coming off a pretty rough one. We'll dive into all of those details here in just a moment. But the very first thing that I think should be understood about this type of trade from a philosophical standpoint is that this is exactly the kind of thing I've been advocating the Rockies do for a while now, that they've only done here and there. And so my first takeaway from this was, okay, I'm going to learn as much as I can about all the little details of Cal Quantrill, but the the top-line thing is good and more, right? The the basic premise of a guy who can be had for relatively cheap. Uh, I think Kobe Huff had an interesting profile, but he's quite a, a, a far away. He was he hit two fifty four this last year. The Rockies have actually quite a number of catchers in their system that they're excited about, most obviously and especially Drew Romo, who appears to be on the cusp. Right, and so when you have a position where uh, you, you've you got some strength, you've got some flexibility, some diversity. They also just drafted Cole Carrig or Kerrig, I'm still not 100% sure how to say his last name. And, and they've got a few others, right? Not, not to mention that their major league catcher, we all know he's up and down, but he was also, you know, the MVP of the All-Star game last year. So they're pretty happy with Elias Diaz as well. So this is the kind of thing where... And even just more broadly, position player strength. They've got a lot of position players, a lot of guys they're hoping can help them with the offense in the future. They need as many arms with potential in here as possible. Now, I've tended to couch this as guys mostly who are going to be in their 30s and who are looking to either bounce back or or get the most out of there because that's typically who you're going to find, right? But this is an interesting and unique situation where Quantrill at... 28 years old, is coming off of a season where he had a 5.24 ERA. He went four and seven if wins and losses is your thing, right? 99 innings pitched for in 19 starts with the Guardians. So he wasn't good. That said, those 99 innings did manage to get him to a positive 0.7 wins above replacement. So he's he wasn't awful terrible. You know you, you can't belong on a roster but that was also by far his worst season in 57 starts before that from 2020 to 2022 Quantro went 25 and eight with a 308 ERA over 368 innings pitch. This guy was really good for a while. Now, you do need to dive a little deeper into how and why he was good and whether or not that can pan out for the Rockies. This has been the primary conversation and and debate that I've seen online after the move, which is that he's been primarily a pitch to soft contact type of guy. He has not had big strikeout numbers at any point in his career, but he has managed to avoid a lot of exit velo, a lot of home runs, uh, a lot of walks. And this is part of, I think, what is the difficult dynamic for the Rockies. Because I had a lot of people ask me, well, shouldn't they be targeting more higher strikeout guys? Because every ball in play at Coors Field is potentially more damaging, which is 100% true. And the answer to that question is yes, they should be targeting as many high strikeout guys as they can. But there are two major problems with that. One is that A lot of guys who are high strikeout guys are also high walk guys. And in fact, in order to look for examples of this, we can stay in the Rockies organization because they have a lot of these guys and they have acquired uh, at this deadline, they got a lot more of them. Whether we're talking about Victor Vodnik or Connor Van Skoyak or Riley Pint, right? We've seen these issues uh, with Daniel Bard at times, big strikeouts, but big walks. Right, It's a lot like at the plate with hitters, typically there is a trade-off and the more power you hit for, the more you're going to strike out. It's not always the case, but like with those hitters, the guys who can manage to hit for power and not strike out a lot, are very expensive, very good baseball players, right? And so you've got a similar thing where, yes, you want guys with the high strikeouts, but you also need guys at Coors Field who don't walk people. Over the research that I've done over the years, and I can't claim to have the conclusive 100% you know, fact of the matter down here, but from everything that I've seen presented to me, the worst thing that you can do as a Rockies pitcher is have a high walk rate. That is the thing that most often correlates to putting up a bad ERA and a negative war, is having a high walk rate. There are guys who have managed to be soft contact guys and find success at Coors Field. Some all-timers, of course, that you may think of are Aaron Cook and Kyle Freeland. There are times where Antonio Sensatella has managed to make that work for him. Tyler Chatwood had a really, really good 2013 where he wasn't a huge strikeout guy but managed to do this. Now, it's true that that should not be what you're trying to get, but it's also true that the Rockies are in a situation where they cannot only target pitchers who are the ideal for them, right? Right. The Rockies need, as I've often said, to attack this problem with numbers. They need as many guys in the organization and in the system as possible with, quite frankly, as many different avenues and paths to success. Of course, right now, coming off the successful season that the Arizona Diamondbacks have, a lot of people out there are going to be pointing around and saying, we're looking for our next Merrill Kelly, right? But there is that, like, you don't always know When a guy is going to find the best version of himself and you know that there are guys who have found success at Coors Field despite a lack of strikeouts. So I don't think they should be in the business of ruling players like Cal Quantrill out when all it costs to get you is a guy who may never play in the bigs who even if he does, he came from a position of strength, so you can live with it. But it's not like Kobe Hough has superstar or star talent written all over him. This was pretty low-risk trade to make for a guy who's still in his 20s and is coming off of his worst season ever, but then three years before that, where he was really good at preventing runs. Will his profile allow him to do that at Coors Field? At the very least, you've got enough open spots in your starting rotation to find out, right? To spend next year finding out. And if you can get him back to his career numbers, despite the profile, right? If there's something about it, and there's a a few things that I think are worth bringing up here, that may end up really working in his favor one is that the Colorado Rockies are absolutely loaded with remarkable defenders right now Uh, that I think is something that's sort of been left out of the conversation obviously it's hard to talk about a big positive thing the Rockies are doing after a 103 loss season but when you take a factual look at the defenders that they're going to be able to put out there Having a guy who creates a ton of weak contact again, yes. In an ideal world, you'd rather them not put the ball in play at all at Coors Field, but if they're going to, this defense: Ryan McMahon at third, Ezekiel Tovar at short, Brendan Rogers at second, and you know they've got all kinds of interesting potential at first. If it's Michael Tolia, then you've got another Gold Glover there. But at the very least, with those other guys, you've got solid defense in first, and then the best outfield defense they've literally ever had no matter who they put in right. And so that I think is one of those things that could very much be to his benefit and and could be, you know, sort of negate some of the potential negative effects of the Coors thing, but you've got to take a flyer on a guy like this. In fact, you've got to take a flyer on three or four or five more guys like this. And to me, this is even a slightly better case scenario than the type of guy I was thinking of, which is more of the kind of career journeyman who you hope finds himself. You know, that's more of the next Jorge de la Rosa type that you might be looking for. But Quantrill is somebody that could really just re find his form. Could. You, you know, find his way back into being a really good game manager and with a great defense behind him, it seems like the type of thing that that he could do. But if it goes the other way, th- there, this isn't, right, the, the, you've, it's hardly cost you anything. So this is the type of move I really, really do like for the Rockies. Um As I said, even in his negative year last year, he wasn't a negative player. He was almost a one-win pitcher because he was able to get 19 innings despite the struggles he was going through. It never really completely blew him up, right? And one of the main reasons is that walk rate is so, so low. Throughout his career, a 260 two walks per nine innings, uh, two and a half walks per nine innings, basically throughout his career, which is an incredible number. And like I said, oftentimes one of the most important correlative things to finding success at Coors Field. So when the guy was still able to put up, you know, a decent war, you know, he's, as I've said to a lot of people, he's not the answer to anything. He's not, you know, oh, the Rockies have an ace pitcher now, but they need a bunch of these guys and they, you know, one or two of them ends up, you know, refining their form or finding the best version of themselves. And then you are on to something pretty interesting. If you can get your eventual aces from out of your system from guys like Chase Dollander or uh, maybe Gabriel Hughes, or in the event that Arman Marquez can become that guy again. Right. And then you've got a rotation in it eventually. And that's the first question here. So let's go ahead and talk about this. But with our Marquez, Going strong with Kyle Freeland, you know, being the steady version of himself that he's more or less proven to be at this point, which is an above average but not elite major league pitcher. And then you fill it in with some of these other guys. All of a sudden, you've gone from having no above average major league starters to having four of them, you know, if you again, but they need to continue to add. So, this question on Marquez comes from John who asks about a realistic timetable. For his return, so I'm not a doctor, and I just looked all of this stuff up to the best of my ability. Uh, it says that the, the recovery for Tommy John typically takes between 12 and 18 months, and considering when he has it had it, this gives us uh, basically a massive uh, variance here, right? Marquez got it uh, in May, in the, near the end of May. And so 12 months later would be near the end of May. So beginning of June, he could come back next year and get maybe half of a season. But if if it's the 18 months, then he misses the whole year, right? If it's 14 to 16 months, then you're talking about him getting a month or two in there to come back. And I've sort of locked it into my brain, again, whether it's accurate or not. And I do think it could be how well the team is playing might factor a little bit as they're constituted. I'm expecting them to be closer to 500, but probably still six or seven games under at the end of the year. If they're building in the way they need to, I still think that puts them in a decent position to be able to compete that next year. And Some of these other questions, we'll talk about that. So for Marquez, I don't think there's going to be a need to rush him back, but if they're playing over their heads, If somehow they're two or three games above 500 going into July and all of his rehab has gone really well and and they think they're within striking distance of something, then I could see, yeah, bringing him back and and trying to get the most out of him. But you also, you know, the the history of the the Tommy John is usually that it takes, you know, about a month even of like pitching through it to get back to where you were before. Uh, Adam Adovino went through a similar thing like that, so... You know, I, I think the most likely scenario is that the Rockies are out of it by the last couple of months, and Marquez is able to come back and make, you know, seven or eight starts over the course of, you know, and, and eight might even be pushing it. So maybe maybe six six or seven starts, and that would be getting more than a month worth of time back. I, I think, again, that's that's like a, a realistic but good but a realistic best case scenario if that makes any sense um and and so you're looking at building on that for going into the next year but you hope that he gets at the very least uh, a month four or five starts you know maybe they they bring him out of the bullpen if they just need to get him a little bit of extra work or or whatever that they they need to do but i i do think we'll see him next season but i think it's unlikely that it's in a role that you know can can help the rockies have a better year unfortunately i think by the time he's ready to come back that will probably have been decided but we'll see we will see uh, mark asks about Yankeel fernandez making the opening day roster and uh wants the answer to be yes i i, I am maybe going to disappoint you here Uh, Yankeel Fernandez, for those of you that don't know, and I imagine most people listening to this do, but he's 20 years old still. Had a monster year this last year. Was really exciting to see. Hit 17 home runs in uh, just 268 plate appearances at the high A level. Moved up to double A. Continued to hit home runs at a really nice rate, but did struggle beyond that. The strikeouts really went up. Uh, you know, only managed to hit 200 in 56 games. So I think it's a bit optimistic to hope for him to be on the opening day roster next season. Not completely out of hand, not not completely out of the realm of possibility for a few reasons. One, guys do at this age, you know, they they can develop quickly. And Bill Schmidt has been a bit more aggressive when players, for example, Ezekiel Tovar have done that. And Tovar played all of last year for most of the time he was the youngest player in the National League, right? And so if Fernandez shows up to spring training and is just tearing the cover off the ball, I don't think it's impossible that they carry him in right, especially because right field is a spot right now where there's a big question mark. And it's his position And because Zach Veen wasn't healthy this last year. And I think he had kind of carved out the heir apparent there for a while until he went down with that wrist injury there. And there's just no obvious answer. If you've got, you know, Charlie Blackman is your DH and Chris Bryant is at first base, you know that buries Laris Montero a little bit. do they trade him in the off season? But if Chris Bryant is in right field, then you don't really need to you know they're not gonna be pushing up one of these younger guys, and so that's the main reason why I think it's unlikely, but I do know that they're looking for more they need more power. they keep talking about needing we all need, know that they need more power and this guy's got power. he has absolutely monster exit velocity numbers. In the minors, right? But he's got this big strikeout issue, and he may not quite yet be ready to handle Major League pitching, and he's still very, very young. So I I think we will almost certainly see young Kel Fernandez at the Major League level next year, but I, I really doubt that he makes the opening day roster, and that's all right uh, because I, he's got plenty of time to prove himself and become another big part Of this team. And, you know, this time a year ago, he wasn't really being talked about that much as a top 100 guy, and now he is. And so I think that's, you know, great for the Rockies organization, especially if they can get Zach Veen to recover and put himself back in top 100, then you're feeling pretty good. So here's another one that comes in that's uh, sort of similar, since we're talking prospects here. Uh, another mark, different mark, <laughs> asks, I'm just not realizing, two, two marks in a row. Uh, who could we use as trade bait for the player that we need the most? This is a really interesting question. Back to, you know, the Rockies and positions of strength. There's a school of thought that I don't necessarily disagree with that says, look, any position player of value can be traded for any pitcher of value. And that's true. As much as I love even players like Ryan McMahon or Nolan Jones, who I would be in the room going, "Ah, don't love it. But depending on, you you've always got to entertain those types of things for pitching, right? But if you're getting a little bit more specific, if the concept is like building around what they've got here, I think there are a lot of interesting, opportunities and i think it, it comes down to looking at a couple of different groups of players and deciding who from that group you most want to keep and who you think has the most value to get you something right so for example this outfielder group there are only so many spots and you've got nolan jones and brenton doyle then on top of that i was just talking about young kel fernandez and zach veen Soon you're going to have as a part of this conversation Sterling Thompson, Jordan Beck, and Benny Montgomery. These are all guys who rank in the Rockies' top eight prospects or are on the team already. That's seven guys for three outfield spots, and I didn't even mention Michael Tolia, Hunter Goodman, uh, or Chris Bryant playing in the outfield, right? So somebody from that group... I think should probably be traded and I can't tell you which one it should be, right? Because I I don't get to watch them quite as closely, certainly as I used to with minor leaguers. And even if I could, I'm no scout, you know, and a lot of it really comes down to what is another team willing to offer you for them? Is there somebody out there who thinks that like what the Rockies did with Juan Brito, Cleveland came to them. They wanted that player to the Rockies go and get Nolan Jones, right? Now, that ended up being a great trade for them, but again, they, it crowded their outfield even more, <laughs> and so you need pitching. They desperately, desperately need pitching. They can do better versions of the Cal Quantrill type of trade because, again, Kobe Huff wasn't in their top, like, 30 prospects. Right? So if we're talking about moving out a guy like Benny Montgomery, who was a first-round pick, who's a, an incredible athlete with elite defense and elite speed potential, and a really weird swing that has a lot of people in the industry fighting each other. Some people think Benny Montgomery's never going to play a day in the big leagues because his swing is so funky and weird, and it's just not going to work. There are other people... believe he's such a freakish athlete and the fact that his results are what they are, which is that he has been hitting and he's been hitting at every level so far and he continues to hit. He also cut down on his strikeouts more than any other player in the minor leagues last year. So now you've got this player who's, there's a lot of doubt about him, but there's so much skill there and there's so much positive momentum in terms of his profile, but is he also just a carbon copy of what they've already got with Brenton Doyle? You love Brenton Doyle, or at least I love Brenton Doyle. Um, for the defensive utility, you hope he can get better at the bat, but you can afford to have one of those guys in your lineup. You can't afford to have all of your outfield covered with supreme athletic defenders who are also light hitters. Maybe Montgomery turns into a better hitter, but if you think you've got a little bit of a overlap there, a little too much overlap, Benny Montgomery is a guy I can absolutely see, including in a trade package to get some pitching in here uh Sterling thompson who they got for trevor story uh you know obviously zach veen has a ton of value as a, a name but now is probably not the best time to trade him because he's coming off such a down year uh, so I, I would say hold on to him at the very least until he builds back up but he's another guy where his ceiling is so high the comparisons to cody bellinger and so on are, are still there that again his overall tools package if he can maximize them is higher than anybody in the system, despite the fact that he's dropped down to like on MLB pipeline, they have him ranked fifth in the Rocky system behind Jordan Beck, Chase Dollander, Yankeel Fernandez, and Ariel Amador. But still, they all recognize that he's coming off a bad year and an injury, and if he gets himself right and fully maximizes what he's capable of, he could be as good, if not better than anybody on this list. You've got a guy like Hunter Goodman, who has proven that his bat clearly can play but you're not quite sure where he fits defensively, how much defensive utility he has. Does that fit in with your you know team makeup as this tremendous defending team? Does somebody out there take a look at the home runs and RBI from a year ago and decide they want Hunter Goodman as their DH and they're willing to part with some pitching to get him? All that stuff has to be on the table. The good news is here that there's a lot of different guys. The Rockies... Could choose to move. And that's before you even start getting into things like I I talked about at the major league level, where there aren't enough spots for Charlie Blackman, Chris Bryant, Michael Tolia, Hunter Goodman, and Alarius Montero. Montero is a guy who's stuck in a weird and interesting spot. If it was up to me, the year would probably begin with him at first, Bryant and Wright, and Blackman at DH, but that buries Tolia. Oh, Sean Bouchard is another guy that I often forget about in here as well. There's another outfielder who, again, some people think has a lot of value. Some people think has some value. If anybody offers you pitching for Sean Bouchard, you've got to jump on that. Uh, but if they offer you pitching for somebody else, Tolia or, or, or Montero, you can go. Well, we've got Bouchard. You know, right? That's how that kind of works. You just again, those. It's a glut of outfielders who can hit and and corner guys who can hit. And you need pitching. So any move that they make in the next couple of months that moves out a position player from this group, uh, you know, up the middle is a little bit different. You still got it with a guy like Adiel Almador who can play shortstop and second base and has this tremendous contact profile. Again, there's nobody who's off limits, but you you don't want to be in the business of trading too many of those guys. Um now that you've already traded a catcher. Be careful there. You love Drew Romo. uh, Maybe you love Cole Carrig, But still, you need a certain amount of depth at that position. There's only so many guys that can play it. But getting pitching in here is a big, big must. All right, Julio asks... Quarter-billion-dollar question, can the rotation be saved and developed in time for a serious run during these young players' window, and how? Well, how is going to be a much more difficult part to answer. I will say, yes, it can. One of the things that I think is worth remembering, not that you want to recreate exactly the 17 and 18 run, because obviously that should have lasted longer. I think anyone who's really educated in that time and being honest with themselves recognized that that window of time probably should have opened a little earlier and and closed a little later, right? A lot of bad decisions were made that limited that window of contention. But also when you look back on it, you can see that in 2014, 15, and 16, there was a lot that was building toward the good teams of 17 and 18 that you didn't necessarily realize at the time, right? The two big obvious ones were DJ LeMayhew and Charlie Blackman. During those years, there was a lot of debate about whether or not those guys could be anything for that team. Uh, Those are kind of the early days of my writing about it. And I remember Charlie Blackman being called, you know, a fourth outfielder and DJ LeMayhew getting compared to Darwin Barney like there were all kinds of weird right because the team wasn't winning yet there uh, you could cast doubt on almost any part of it that wasn't Tulo or Cargo and those guys kept getting hurt all the time and so it it really got to the point where people believed that they should have been traded one of them was right it, it became this big weird mess and it was hard to sit there on the day that Troy Tulowitzki was traded in 2015 and go you know, less than two years from now, this team is going to go on one of their better 300-game stretches over two seasons that the franchise ever has. And they're going to do it primarily with players they already had in the organization. That starting rotation, you know, when those guys were in the minors, John Gray was absolutely considered a top prospect, but Kyle Freeland wasn't a top 100 guy. A lot of the shine had come off of Tyler Anderson. He started as a, a top prospect, but did not finish his minor league career as one, and the injury problems were already starting to show there. Uh, You know, I think people forget how valuable guys like Chad Bettis were to that team, that Antonio Sensatella and Armand Marquez really had their ups and downs for those first couple of years, but that rotation really was the difference maker. If you go back and look at the 2016 team, that was Probably a better group of position players. They already had Nolan Arenado coming into the peak of his powers and DJ LeMahieu starting to prove that he could really hit and Charlie Blackman coming into his peak. Uh, Trevor Story, 2016 was his ma- massive monster rookie season, right? And so all of that was there, but they couldn't win because they didn't have the pitching. And the pitching they got that put them over the top wasn't. Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling. You know what I mean? It wasn't Pedro Martinez. It was Armand Marquez and Kyle Freeland and John Gray and Antonio Sensatella, and then a smattering of these other veteran guys like Chad Bettis uh, for a little while and there. Tyler Anderson had a good end of the 2018 season. But that's what I think they need to be on their way toward recreating. Right? Your new Nolan Arenado is probably Nolan Jones is, is in terms of like your overall war, your star player where you're getting elite-level production both at the plate and in the field. That's your Nolan Jones, right? Your DJ LeMayhew is Brenton Doyle a guy who's not giving you a ton on offense yet but is doing massive things on defense and also everybody in the clubhouse loves him and wants to play with that guy wants to play for that guy he just brings all those types of intangibles right and now you're looking for you know Ezekiel Tovar as your why not Trevor Story you know <laughs> so they play the same position slightly different profiles right you're you know you had your David Dahl in there for one year being a an all-star they've got those guys in my mind to your, to your point, these position players, but those guys were around for a little while before the pitching turned them into contenders and then they were able to do it. So what you hope is that, yeah, in two years, again, i I really do believe that 2025 is the season where it makes perfect sense for the Rockies to have acquired. If you've acquired three or four or five more Cal Quantrill types, And now what your rotation in 25 looks like is whoever has emerged from that group as a pretty solid 4 or 5 option in your rotation. You've graduated, hopefully, a Chase Dollander to be your new John Gray, uh, but better, uh, hopefully. Again, in a best-case scenario, right? That Marquez will still be in his early 30s at that point. He'll be fully recovered from Tommy John, and he can be your solid number two. That Kyle Freeland as the Denver guy on a team that's actually ready to compete a little bit, plays as a pretty great number three, and then like I said, your 4-5 are either filled out by other young players like Gabriel Hughes, who's maybe gotten back out there and proven himself uh, they've got a few other prospects who really jumped up uh, the list, including guys like Sean Sullivan, Jack Mahoney, uh, Joe Rock. Uh, they've got some interesting ones out there. You, you never know with prospects, but again, we'll, we'll have a lot more information by 25. But I think they, th- those are the guys. And if it doesn't happen in that window, then you do have to go out and, and try to maybe even sign some guys. i talked about spending money on pitching, maybe something the Rockies need to just get over themselves and do a little bit when it's so obvious that that's what you need. But yes, it it can happen. It's absolutely an uphill battle. It's not easy and to some degree you are just taking risks. You're taking gambles on guys like a Cal Quantrill. You've got nobody knows what he's going to do next year. It's entirely possible he comes to Coors Field and because he can't get a ton of swings and misses, and maybe he's just on the downward trajectory already in his career anyway, he puts up the worst season of his career. He is a negative wire player for the first time ever and is just bad. That's entirely possible that that happens. But it's also entirely possible that he comes out and he pitches 150 to 200 innings with an ERA right around four or even under four and is a solid ERA plus guy and just is the most consistent pitcher on the Rockies next season and everything in between, right? All of that is possible. That's why you just need a bunch of them. You need several of them and you need to see what ends up playing out. And then you can start building around those guys. I do think that that is the plan, obviously, because I think it's the best plan. I hope it's the plan because it's the one that just makes the most amount of sense. They do have some money to spend this offseason and haven't spent any of it by my calculation, just based on what they've done before, projecting out a little bit, guessing and whatever. 15 million ish that they've got if they want to just sort of continue to grow the way that they have and meet what they basically just meeting what they did last year. That's it. You get a couple players for that or one pretty decent one, but as I've often said, I don't think that's the way to go. I don't think you want one $15 million pitcher to come in here, I think you want three $5 million pitchers or five $3 million pitchers, <laughs> you know, one way or the other. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. But I like this move uh, for the Rockies. I like where their focus is seems to be and I liked all these questions that y'all sent in and I did get several more after I started recording so I'll see if I can I'm going out of town for a few days but I'll see if I can get another one recorded and scheduled for while I'm out of town thank you all for listening into this episode I appreciate you I hope you'll continue to be absolutely awesome out there you know that I will continue to be absolutely Drew Creaseman in here and until next time I will see you at the ballpark